for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. Home videos are probably one of the most important tools, if not the most important, we have for diagnosis of epilepsy. Hello fellow humans. Today's Epilepsy Sparks Insights episode is one with a bonus. I am talking to two inspiring people, Alexis Arzimanoglu from Lyon, France, who is a paediatric and adult neurologist and lead of the European Reference Network for Epicare, and Rosaria Vavatori from Italy, who is the founder of AHC Europe, mum to a son with the rare genetic epilepsy AHC, and an Epicare European Patient Advisory Group volunteer. Both Alexis and Rosaria work together with others to improve the lives of the people affected by its real shockingly rare epilepsy. AHC stands for Alternative Hemoplegia of Childhood. Um, and this in itself is pretty incredible because many of the symptoms of this genetic disease are kind of as yet pretty unexplainable. If this sounds as interesting to you as it does to me, then stay tuned. And if you haven't already, and if you want to do subscribe to the channel, Together, let us improve outreach, epilepsy awareness, understanding, and funding for epilepsy research. Thanks so much, both of you, for joining us today. Alexis, could you tell us a bit about yourself, first of all, please? Of course, sorry. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I am Professor Alexis Arzimanoglu. I am a child neurologist uh, and a neurologist um, working mainly in Lyon, France, where I am heading the clin Pediatric Clinical Epileptology and Neurophysiology Department. And I also have the opportunity to collaborate with my friends in Barcelona, Spain, in coordinating their research group. But I would say with time, not to say with age, my main job became to mainly work for the development of the European Reference Network for Rare and Complex Epilepsies, Epicare, uh, which is one of the 24 European networks for different diseases developed by the European Commission in, I mean, it was launched in 2017, so it's quite young. There's a lot of work. But a lot has happened in that time, which we will uh, speak about in a moment. Rosaria, could you tell us about yourself, please? Yes, thank you, Tori. Um, I am Rosaria Vavassori, living in Italy. I am uh, the mom to Alberto, who is affected by HC. He's 20 years uh, old. Uh, now and uh, since we had the, the correct diagnosis of AHC for him when he was four years old, I basically worked as a patient advocate and uh, as a collaborator and um, supporter of the work of the researchers studying this. Uh, uh, rare and complex uh, epilepsy. I created the, um, the Italian Association for AHC, starting to 
uh, work with a few doctors that uh, those times uh, knew the disease and uh, had uh, some patients with AHC. And then uh, we started to create further contacts and collaboration also abroad in uh, Europe. And that's uh, uh, why I met Alexis and uh, his group and the French Association. And then we managed to create this international collaboration for the research uh, on AHC and uh, now I am uh, the data manager for the International Consortium for Research on AHC and all the ATP1A3 um, rare diseases. I am uh, managing this uh, international uh, platform for the data collection and sharing for the multi-center studies of the, this uh, consortium. Alexis is the scientific coordinator uh, together with Professor Mohamed Mikati in the US. And Alexis, could you tell us a bit about AHC, please? Because for many listeners, I would say probably the majority, they have no idea what AHC is. <laughs> AHC, uh, for alternating hemiplegia of childhood, in fact, is a very rare neurological disorder uh, that in most of the cases, if not all, appears in early childhood, but of course can go up to adulthood. Um, and uh, what mainly characterizes it, at least at, it, at some part of its expression, is what the name is called, alternating hemiplegia, which means that the patient can be paralyzed of one member or one side, or one day, and the other day it could be the opposite, while the first member that was paralyzed, the arm or the leg or the whole side, is totally back to normal. Which for us is, was and is very, very difficult to explain, to understand the mechanism. Of, of course, at that time when it was first described, all investigations on vascular problems were done, but everything was negative. These children mainly have a number of normal basic investigations that we usually do. And then they progressively develop epileptic seizures, but they also develop uh, abnormalities of movement that can be a, I mean, a stiffness of an arm or what we call a dystonic posture and so on, which in fact also represents a huge difficulty in terms of treatment choices, because we already have very few drugs we don't have a treatment for the disease itself, but on top of it, even for the symptoms, sometimes it's very difficult to know, is it A or is it B? And of course, you cannot use the same treatment for A and B without knowing what it is. And there, the input from the parents, the home videos, the video EEG monitoring help a lot to make a diagnosis. Yeah, as is often the case for more regular epilepsies, if you like. It's amazing how I think the past few years with the development of technology on our phones has really contributed to receiving more accurate diagnosis, I think. Home videos are probably one of the most important tools, if not the most important, we have for diagnosis of epilepsy. I mean, we should not forget that epileptic seizures are paroxysmal. You don't have them all the time. They appear... So until the appearance of the iPhones, 
uh, or the phones, the smartphones, not to make this. Huh. Are, you, are you pimping out the iPhones here? Are you an I Apple have ambassador? Been, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily an iPhone. Uh, from the moment the smartphone is enough. Um, we, we doctors started seeing what we were treating. Because before, we just had a description, and the description and alternating hemiplegia is one of the best examples, is very, very difficult, even when the parents are very precise in their description. Uh, so, yes, it revolutionized the whole care of epilepsy, the fact that we could see the symptom we were trying to treat. I also think it's really important, and you've already um, kind of uh, towards this, is that the epilepsy is just part of this um, rare disorder. Um, just like I was actually speaking to another clinician recently about what is an epilepsy. And to me, what takes priority is not actually control over the seizures. And the more people I speak to, the more people that seem to agree with me that it's a whole lot more than only the seizures. What, what's your reaction to that, Rosario? What do you think? What's it like for you, your husband and your son? AHC, like uh, exactly as uh, Alexis was uh, uh, saying, is a combination of so many uh, diseases and so many comorbidities, I mean associated disorders. It is uh, not only seizures but uh, many other types of uh, paroxysmal episodes. Uh, you can have uh, sudden uh, uh, attacks of uh, dystonia, my son, for example, suddenly he gets completely paralyzed uh, or very stiff and uh, painful and uh, he can uh, have uh, plagic attacks, uh, uh, floppy paralysis. He can start to have uh, abnormal high movements or uh, um, breathing difficulties and uh, it is completely unpredictable. Uh, you don't know when uh, he can uh, have any or any kind of these uh, episodes or a seizure. It's uh, very difficult to live in uh, with this uh, <laughs> continuous possibility. In addition to this, uh, to all these possible types of episodes, uh, you also have uh, exactly. Uh, movement uh, difficulties, uh, movement uh, problems, uh, a, a poor balance, uh, so you have always uh, to, uh, to, to be careful uh, when they walk. Um, they can have intellective uh, difficulties, uh, problems in uh, speech. It's very interesting what you're saying because so many of these comorbidities if you like or what is, what is part of this disease I see in people with other types of epilepsies too and we had a private discussion I think last week or something about how there are so many similarities between the different epilepsies but they have different called different genetic causes and so um, therefore treatments need to often be different as well would you agree with that Alexis? Particularly for epileptic seizures and uh... As I say, when we talk about rare epilepsies, a rare epilepsy before becoming a rare epilepsy is just an epilepsy. It means that they have exactly the same clinical symptoms, epileptic seizures. And then some of them will end up being a rare disease. Some others will be very common. And this uh, separation between the two needs to be done as early as possible. 
Then when we come to the diseases such as alternating hemiplegia and so on, you are absolutely right. Each of the symptoms taken separately can be a symptom of another disease. What makes the difference is the combination of them together in one patient. That is what defines a disease, not the symptom. The symptom is one of them. Uh, but then you need to put the puzzle together and put the eye movements together with the paralysis, together with the dystonia, together with the seizures, and say, well, this could be an alternating hemiplegia. And still, you are not absolutely sure because it, it is a matter of experience how many of these symptoms you will recognize as linked or not to the disease. Do you know, it, what you're saying reminds me a bit sometimes of how it can be difficult initially upon you know, just upon observation for many people just to distinguish between, say, epileptic seizures and non-epileptic seizures, things can look so, so very similar. I know that, you know, you'd obviously, I imagine, know, but on the outside, things look the same. I can also, it happens to me also to mix them up or have a lot of difficulty. That is why we use video electroencephalography to record the episode. That is why we say we need to see several episodes because, you see, Epileptic seizures are very different between each other, but for the same patient, they have the same expression. And it is the fact that you have the same expression that makes you suspect it is an epilepsy and not something else. Let alone that, by definition, an epileptic seizure is what is, in, at least when you have a movement involved, it is a normal movement that you could do anyhow but during an epileptic seizure, it is exaggerated and it is repeated all the time. When I move my arm, this is a normal movement, but when my arm moves without being controlled and shaking, it is still a movement, but it is an epileptic seizure. Yeah, and then we have the even more complex thing sometimes is trying to recognize when somebody has a focal seizure and, I, you know, when there is no movement, then that is even harder, right? Well, or even, even it, there can be one, they can be just chewing or just uh, uh, so. <laughs> but interestingly, I had um, a focal when I was in the pub last night, not drinking, just so everyone knows. <laughs> and I just said to my partner, just so you know, I had a bit of an aura focal going on. And he's like, oh, gosh, you're right. But I was talking to him. He would not have known if I hadn't have told him. And it really makes me feel for many people with intellectual disability, with things like AHC often, because how do you communicate, for instance, these types of seizures or these reoccurring feelings, you know, to your carers and to your neurologist? And I think that can be a bit of a stumbling block. Definitely. You're absolutely right. That is one of the main difficulties both in diagnosing and even later on, when you have the diagnosis, and let us say you have a symptomatic treatment, something that could reduce the number of episodes. If you are wrong on what is the nature of the episode, what do you do? You change the drug, you increase it, but maybe you are targeting the wrong movement. And that is why it is extremely complicated and it needs a lot of experience. But Again, saying this, I just because we are here with parents, I think it is extremely important to have these children with all rare diseases followed in reference centers, but they also need to have their local physician, pediatrician or adult neurologist or child neurologist. Even if he or she is not fully experienced in the disease, they need to have a follow-up of proximity. 
Because by definition, you have a number of other things that pop up in the everyday life of the parents, of the brothers and sisters of a handicapped child, and the expert center can't do everything. I mean, they need the collaboration with a local colleague who knows the child. And the role of the reference center is to help this colleague know better the disease of the one child he is following. But the two are needed. You can't have only one. And then there's, and then there's the link between you know, a lot of um, children with these psychiatric comorbidities as well, right? Of course. And so needing help with that. Um, and again, for the mums and the dads, Rosaria, you know, I think often the mums and dads for kids with lots of rare epilepsies or non-rare epilepsies, but in this case, of course, AHC, there needs to be the support for mum and dad, um, even if you're only thinking about the child or child adult, because, you know, despite any intellectual disability, I, I would say most of the time we can actually tell how our mum and dad are feeling, you know, and that has an impact on the health of the child or the person that you're caring for. From what you've told me before, Rosaria, like being involved with groups and with EpiCare as an advocate regarding AHC is actually being quite encouraging for you as a person right you've met other people who kind of get where you're coming from and you're able to influence progression for this rare epilepsy exactly collaborating with other um, the collaboration with other patient ad advocates for other rare disease helps us all to identify the common needs that we have uh, so many comorbidities um, in addition to so many symptoms to in addition to uh, epilepsy to seizures the need of a, a multidisciplinary team following uh, the following our children not only for neurology the main uh, uh, main expert in neurology but also other expert uh, taking care of all the other uh, associated uh, problems, the need of, of a psychological support for our children and for us parents uh, too is uh, absolutely very important. And uh, also the importance of uh, having a local uh, center as close as possible to us that uh, can provide a continuous uh, care uh, to our uh, children, but always uh, with the uh, counseling and uh, the help, the support of uh, the uh, reference center that can provide exactly uh, the knowledge, the, the, the counseling for to address uh, all uh, the more complex uh, symptoms and uh, provide uh, support to the local physician that uh, is supporting us and, uh, and our children. This is important and it is also important to create also this uh, transversal, horizontal layer in the network for sharing, exactly, uh, sharing between us, uh, patients and parents and families and especially sharing ideas, sharing data uh, between uh, the different uh, uh, reference centers 
in the network. Brilliant, yeah, to hopefully improve people's lives in the future. I think that's what it's all about, isn't it? To collate this data and input. And um, I, sometimes I think about things from the perspective of the clinician, the epileptologist, or even the GP, for instance. And you can't, as you were saying earlier, Alexis, you can't know everything, right? And so I think sometimes it can be rather overwhelming when you get this family approaching you with a diagnosis and you have nothing, you don't know anything about it at all. And you think, oh, what, oh, what do I do with this? But that's where the network comes in really handy, I think, because if there's a channel that they know that they can um, access a professional down, which they can through EpiCare, that kind of ticks the box for the professional as well as the family, would you say? I can even say worse. I think that the good doctors <laughs> are the ones who ask their colleagues. Those that don't ask are not good. <laughs> it is impossible. <laughs> and it becomes more and more difficult because we are entering a, an era or a period where we look for more precise diagnosis. The patients need more precise information and it is their right. We are trying to discover targeted therapies for a specific disease as a whole and not only as a symptom. And this can only be done at an international level and since we are in Europe at the European level. Those either doctors or countries that think that the treatments will be found, I don't know, in a city or in a country, they are totally out of scope. It will never happen that way. It is by chance, yes, for one, but the rest is a matter of collaboration, of exchange of ideas, of meeting people, networking and discussing, and not only via Zoom, there are also needs to meet them and discuss. And uh, um, this is how it will go on. And uh, it takes time. Rosaria knows it very well. It took uh, 15 years to find the, the gene and it took another 10 and we start discussing treatments. The same applies to many other diseases because this is how it is. It is not against us or against the parents. It is extreme. The mechanisms are very complicated. We learn every day. We are probably wrong sometimes. But then we need to also reestablish, and I think that this is what networks as EpiCare um, help to do, to reestablish a confidence between the doctors and the patients. This is extremely important. You cannot... Patients are not doctors and doctors are not patients and you cannot select what you like from medicine. You need to be confident in something and this is the only way to work together. And the confidence needs to be mutual. I mean, if Rosaria comes, if Rosaria comes to my clinic and gives me half of the symptoms just to testify I'm intelligent, I will never make the diagnosis. <laughs> 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 but so I'd say some of the best clinicians though I've ever met have been the most modest exactly. the same goes for scientists because the, like that, I spoke, I've spoken about this before but the Dunning-Kruger effect the more you know the more you learn the more you realize you don't know and that is so true in medicine but having been to some of these um, epicare events myself you know you can feel the warm energy and people just are they're not there for any money at all it's there to improve. It's there to improve the lives of the families affected, and I say families because it really is the family that is affected by the rare epilepsies, rather than the sole individual with the diagnosis. If anyone would like to get in touch with you guys, how would they do that? Would it be through the Epicare website or what? Epicare is a network of hospitals, uh, so 
directly the patients have to go through a hospital in their region or in their country or in a neighbor country to for a case to be discussed. And the reason is obvious. I mean, individually, if we don't have part of the data collected after having examined the patient correctly, the network, which is virtual, cannot give a correct advice. The risk of mistake is huge. Um, so we need to have a, a contact with a colleague that summarizes the data and comes up. So that is one. Um, now, as for patients with alternating hemiplegia, because this is what we are talking about, there is no doubt that today, uh, with the support and the work done by Rosaria and many others, there are patient associations, both in the US and in Europe and in other uh, countries. And the contribution of the patients is very important. It is difficult. It is difficult because they already have a huge amount of work because they have a sick child. They don't have that much free time, but it is important to contribute. Um, and when I say to contribute, it, ta it takes time to give your time to the network, not to your child. And these are not exactly the same things. <laughs> I mean, your child, you have a different job to do. And Rosaria, when she collects the data for the registry, yes, she's working also for her child, but she's working for another, I don't know, 2,000 children collecting the data. And this is important. You're getting involved in this way lets you know that you are not alone. Well, you feel still feel awfully alone. But to know that there are other people who can ha that have some idea of how you're affected means the world. Yes, absolutely. When I got the diagnosis of AHC for uh, my son, uh, my first uh, um, idea was to uh, look for other families, uh, <laughs> for other families that uh, were uh, having the same, uh, living uh, the same experience uh, with AHC. And uh, exactly by meeting other families that uh, uh, we started to uh, understand the importance of work, working together to create a group, a community, and not only of families, but a global community together involving, uh, collaborating, supporting the work of the researchers of creating content and networks between all the clinical centers and so growing, growing our, um, our network and our strength, both as a community, but also individually as person. Exactly, know this feeling of not being alone, fighting this, uh, this disease. For people today, for people now, if they want to get in touch with um, a patient advocacy group, I know that EpiCare um, is one. It's uh, epi-care.eu. If, if you go to the um, EpiCare patient representative page, there is that, um, which will put, there's a lovely picture of you there, Rosaria. Um, but also for clinicians who are interested in this, there's also a page, um, if you go under for patients, find an EpiCare health professional. Um, and then a clinician page exactly just for clinicians. Well, 
anyone can look at it, but you know what I mean. Um, so it's about getting everyone together. Well, it's been lovely chatting to you both. I thank you so much because like, this is a really sensitive topic, but it's a really cool topic as well because we've got lots of hope for the next 10 years because of guys like you. Thank you, Tori, again. Thank you, Rosaria. And thanks for all the work you both do at different orientations. Many thanks to you, Tori. Thank you, Alexis. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.